if we're talking, we can look at each other. Otherwise, we... Okay, we're live. Hello, everybody. Glad you're here. Welcome to the show. Um, If you'll give me just a second, I'm still trying to figure out how to uh, change my mic features because I think what you're getting is just the normal... Well, how do we sound? You tell us how we sound. And we'll wait to hear. But um, I'm going to assume that you can hear okay. And let you know that uh, I'm excited to be here. Okay, this is Brett Nicholson. This is my pastor. And so we have a living, breathing pastor here with (laughs) us uh, who is um, uh, great at answering questions. One of the things that I love about my pastor is he is concerned about some of the topics that were raised when we recently asked a bunch of non-Christians what their criticisms of pastors are. And so, okay, somebody says it sounds perfect. Great. Um, so uh, what we did was, I guess I should back up and say, this is the sloppiest intro to a video I think I've ever done. I'm sorry, Brett. Don't, don't <laughs> think sorry. that. It's, don't, it's, it's, it's good. <laughs> he's got this I'm, pipe. I'm glad I'm, it's not resting on me. It's I'm not resting. watching you. Do That's your right. Thing. Well, yeah, Brett has a podcast and uh, for the church, and I've been on that. And everything is like spot on, perfect in the production, and so uh, we're getting we're getting uh, uh, the 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 worst end of it. So here, uh, but so Brett uh, and I have been friends for a while, and I've been going to the church that he attends. I've preached there. I've uh, done some things with them, and so the other day, I uh, I started without telling Brett, asking on Twitter, uh, non Christians, what are your criticisms of pastors, and a bunch of them started giving all kinds of awful things that they don't like about pastors. And so, and some of them were reasonable, reasonable concerns that are problems. And so uh, somewhere in there, someone asked me, why are you asking this question? I said, well, I said, full disclosure, I'd like to have my pastor on a live stream and uh, respond to some of these. And so Brett pops in and he's like, Oh, well, I hope he doesn't drop the ball. So here's my pastor. We're going to respond to some of these. We have some select, uh, issues that we have um, that we have brought up. What we're going to do now? I really appreciate the super chats. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Practical Faith. You guys are awesome. And we're going to come back and look at some of the chat here in a little while and respond. Maybe in about thirty minutes. But first, what we're going to do is we're going to respond to some of these things as though um, you're not, you know, asking questions. And then we'll come back to that. You know, so um, so go feel free to ask whatever you want. It helps if you tag Trinity Radio in the, uh, in the question, if it's a question for us, um, it also helps if you give a super chat, but Hey, just saying, after all, one of the concerns here is that us religious people are just in it for the money. So we're going to, we're going to respond to some of that. So, um, Brett pastors, a church, one life church. Tell us a little bit about one life, uh, one life church. Let's see. We started, um, on 10, 10, 10. It's been now 10 years ago. And, uh, and, and really the objective and one of the reasons we talk about some of these issues a little bit more openly than some churches is because we wanted, we did want to provide a church that was designed to be interactive a little bit more, uh, and to talk about these issues and give people a context in which they could do it. And so, uh, that was the original intent, uh, back, you know, it, it's it's contemporary like many 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 churches are now uh but uh with the idea that you you can come in and if you're not a believer you can relate to it you can at least connect somewhat and we we tell people all the time you're free to ask us questions uh, and 
address whatever issues you feel like you you want to. So that was that was in the DNA from the very very start. That's kind of what we were after. Yeah, and if it's okay, I'd like to spotlight that um, when you come into the lobby of any. This is a multi-site church. There are multiple locations. What's the tagline? That you, that you use for the multiple locate one church three one church three locations yeah, yeah. that's pretty common so so we love that so um so what what they when you come into the lobby of any of these locations there is a bookshelf and uh, uh you've got like top to bottom like the top shelf books are literally the top shelf heavy academic type books and then as you go down you get down to like case for christ or whatever and so if if there's someone there who's got questions or is struggling, then theoretically, and I'm sure this has happened in practice, someone can just go over and grab one of those books and say, hey, here's a resource that you can check out and I'm happy to talk to you. And so it's really cool. This is a church that is focused on apologetics. And I think, Brett, one of the um, criticisms that comes sometimes of the kind of church with the stylistic setup that you have is well, those people they're shallow. They don't, they don't get into the real deep doctrinal stuff. They don't get into the apologetics. But that's not our church. Yeah, well, it's not all the time. I mean, I'm shallow in some ways. I mean, <laughs> you know, and we we open with secular songs, and and there's a story behind why we do that, and some of it's deep, and some of it's kind of shallow too. I mean, and I and I do. We have lights, we have hazers, and some of that's probably. I do have kind of a, a deep thought behind that, but it also I'm probably superficial that way too. So well, well, just to give you an idea, the other day there was an an intro video that showed uh, Brett destroying like middle schoolers playing dodgeball. And then like 10 minutes later, he's talking about the teleological argument for God's existence. So, you know, that's, that's the way the church is, but yeah, balanced that way. So uh, one of the reasons I wanted to introduce you to Brett, I know I've played last fall, I put a sermon from him out there. One of the reasons that I wanted to introduce you all to Brett is because tomorrow, some of you, your churches are canceled and uh, some of you, you wouldn't be going to church anyway. And I'm going to put a video out. I'm going to try to do this, put a video out that is related to apologetics. I'm doing this thing occasionally that I call sermons for skeptics, but it's also for Christians. And we're going to put this video out there. Brett's going to let me do that. I appreciate that. And uh, if you can't go to church, you should watch that sermon. But guess what? But wait, there's more. And the more is I'm going to put it out before. I'm going to try to put it out before whenever his actual, he's going to, I don't know if it's a live stream or release a video or whatever. He's going to have a video that's like the regular video for church because we are canceling services. And if you, if you enjoy Brett today and, and in that sermon, you can go check out the one and see what he's doing right now. What are you preaching on tomorrow? Uh, it is going to be, it's, it's around, uh, Philippians, uh, chapter four, where don't be anxious about anything, but, but it's oh, a prayer petition. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a classic verse, but we're going to unpack that in light of the whole coronavirus thing. And, and how do you, how do you ease your anxieties going through different, uh, different things like this? Cause I mean, the thing about this is it really is unprecedented. I'm, I'm now 55 and I've never seen anything like this happen in my lifetime. And, uh, so it, there's some anxieties that kind of raise up in everybody's mind. So we're going to yeah. talk to that directly. Well, cool. be, I do have a little bit of an apologetic piece around prayer. Awesome. Uh, so I, I, I quote Lee Strobel and then uh, Craig Keener and, and some of them, but, uh, but it's more classic pastoral kind of stuff. Well, that's, that's what I, and we're going to get into some of that. That's what I love though about the church is even when it's not a, 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 the issue that we're talking about, isn't something like directly related to apologetics, you still include stuff. You still, it's just a part of the normal DNA of the. Sermons. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's very intentional, but that's also a, the way I think just, just 
in normal life. It's it's just always I've always had an appreciation for apologetics, in my own personal walk, and and in my in my leadership. And I've seen people have it helps people, and uh, that the, the people that we're reaching, and especially we have a lot of younger people in our congregation, and a lot of college students, and and so I like having that out there because I think it bolsters faith and kind of in the more modern world more so than it did maybe uh, several years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I see some of you have questions and we're going to, like I said, we're going to come to those in a bit, but one question someone did ask me that I feel like I should go ahead and answer is Bible fandom asks in the wake of, of this issue, this virus, will you still be coming to Dallas for the unapologetics conference this month? Unfortunately I won't. And I'm really sorry about that. And I just found out, um, otherwise I would have let you know earlier, but I just found out this week and, um, I'm not going to be there for that. And I really apologize. Now, if you're in the Texas area, I am going to be at the one they're going to have in Houston, which is later in the year. I think it's like in October. So, um, so uh, yeah, but let me say this, pay attention to what the unapologetics conference is saying, because it's, it's very likely that they're going to have to do something. They're going to have to cancel or something. So um, pay attention to them. Maybe go check out what Eric Hernandez is saying. So, all right. So, um, now, with that, let's go ahead and, and get into some of these questions, Brett. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the question or the statement, and then you kind of can say whatever you want to say, yeah. and then we'll just chat about it. As okay. a real live breathing pastor. <laughs> yeah, as That's a real yeah, live right. breathing, breathing for pastor now. in right. the flesh. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, and what I did was I selected – there were like, I don't know, may, there were dozens. There may have been hundreds. What I did was I selected – uh, questions that were representative of a host of other questions. Yeah, because I read through a lot of them. It's been a few days, but I, they were thematic. I mean, you could kind of, I boiled it down to, I think, five different categories, essentially. Yeah. Uh, my favorite comment was get a real job. <laughs> get a real job. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it's like when, when I got a doctorate degree, um, uh, I, I heard this other guy say that, that his daughter, it was Kevin Ezell at North American Mission Board, right. said that his, his he heard his daughter and her friend talking. Her friend said, your dad is a doctor? And she said, yeah, but not the kind that can help anybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> there we right. go. That, that's so, perfect. That's so here's, perfect. here's the first All right. one. All right. I went to church for the first time in about four years, and the pastor seemed to be willfully, hopefully unwillfully, hopefully unwillfully, uh, to be willfully, I guess she means, or hopefully unwillfully. We're, we're going to unpack the, is it willful or unwillful I I, or what do we well, have? This is starting off is, bad yeah, right. at every layer. It's all on you, man. Uh, so the pastor was yeah. conflating mental health, like anxiety, specifically in his sermon, and sin. So uh, the idea is right. okay. if you're experiencing some sort of mental issues, like if you're like, for me, I'll, I'll just tell you, I'm, right. I'm on medication right. like for anxiety. Right. And um, I don't think it's because directly because of some specific sin I've committed. Right. But I think that's kind of the, the idea is sure. her impression or his impression was that the pastor was teaching that if you have an issue uh, like that, then that means that you, there's, some, there's some sin in your life that if you just right. get it right, this would go away. What do you say? Yeah, I, I think as a general rule, most of us would reject that kind of idea. And and again, I don't have a lot of context for what the person was really, the pastor was really talking about. So I get, I get nervous when uh, doing pastor reviews of, right. of others. Um, but I know as a basic rule, there's a couple of things I think about. One, no, I, I don't, I don't associate 
mental challenges or anxiety or any of that with sin. I'm an enormous fan of the Psalms. Uh, the last three summers, uh, our church has just take, uh, taken the Psalms and gone through a study of that because it was very liberating in my own life because even though I'm not on medicine, I have struggled with depression most of my life. Uh, before I came to Christ, I was uh, suicidal and all the rest and uh, and have had bouts since then uh, with those things. So, And I've been to professional counseling, so I, I can't, can't really take that because I'd, I'd check myself out. Right. But I, no, I don't. And but I love about the Psalms is is there's they articulate those kinds of issues. And that was very liberating to me. One of my favorites is Psalm 88. I, what I love about Psalm 88, it's dark at the beginning, it's dark at the end, it's dark in the middle, it's dark <laughs> all the way through. Yeah. But having my worldview, where I really believe that God inspired the Bible, He gives um, He gives language to those experiences, and that helped me immensely. Mm -hmm. And so I would never just categorize those kinds of uh, mental struggles with sin. I, and, and that's not just in the Psalms, it's throughout the Bible, even, even Paul himself, he and his team despaired of life, he says in 2 Corinthians. Uh, but I also know kind of where you, you may get into, and I think maybe we can all relate to this, there can be what I would consider, in my own experience, a hand-wringing kind of anxiety that I would categorize as something where I violated what I think the Lord re would really have me do. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, I think we've all been through that kind of stuff. And I think people even in in outside of a religious context have been through things where they've probably overly worried about something and it's kept them from a valuable thing. I think that's very, uh, I think that's a universal experience. And I think that's the kind of sin that we're talking about. Something as you're trying to walk with the Lord and I've just been, I've just been afraid to step out or I've been, a, I've been worried about all these things over here when I really should have been thinking about this thing over here. That's a different category for me. So I can see why sometimes that we might come across that way. Well, hopefully we'll make those distinctions. You know, and, and again, I, I can say, um, I guess I could say that I've, yeah, I have moved back and forth. Um, I can say that I've, pa I've pastored churches not as long as you have. And but I've traveled and spoken in literally hundreds of churches over the past 20 years and been in conferences, multiple denominations in other countries, in every region of the United States. And I ha I have a couple of times encountered that sentiment that okay. that was expressed by the questioner. But it doesn't seem to me to be a generality. And the person even says, you know, I'm just telling you, I hadn't gone in four years. Right. I went and this was the impression I that's got. That's what I felt like. Yeah. So, yeah, and, that, and that's understandable. But I think we can fairly say that that is not, I don't, I think we, I don't have like scientific data in front of me, but I don't think that's the average pastor saying that. Um, there are certain denominations that might be more hospitable to something like that, but I'm not even going to name those. So, um, so yeah, I think, now here is a question though that I have on this. Um, so I've dealt with anxiety a lot in my life, and I don't... Which I did not know until this moment. Well, when you said that. Yeah, this is the thing. I think, I've heard this new term, ambivert, like, uh, oh, like, right, right, like okay, you're in yeah. between an introvert, right, introvert and an extrovert. But I really have a lot of introvert traits. Like when I'm around in a big group talking, spending time, I got to go be alone and rest yeah. for a while. Same. And yeah. I'm in a bad line of work for that, man. Yeah, so. me too. Me too. I'm, I'm not an ambivert. I'm an introvert. Yeah, so. Okay. <laughs> so I think I am too. Okay. But I don't think a lot of people know that okay. because I think I'm good at, frankly, masking that. Yeah. I'll just say it. Um, now, that so I, I deal with worry and anxiety. 
and all my life I've heard Christian people say, and I know what the scripture says, that that it's that you shouldn't worry and and that it, and you know you're going to preach on this, but yeah. that the, I, you know worry is a sin, right? Well, um I always hear people say that and I'm like, okay, how do I not sin that way then? How do I not do that? So answer that for me. Like cuz it's almost like, okay, you know, looking at pornography is sinful. Okay, no problem. I can choose not to look at pornography. Okay. But when it comes to something internal and psychological like worry, it's like, how do I just not worry, man? Come to, uh, <laughs> I mean, watch. I say come to church tomorrow. Watch us online and we'll answer that. You're going to answer that question. We're going to okay. answer that question. Yeah. No, it, I, I think it's it presents itself. Uh, anxiety is just one of those things that's built into the system uh, of who we are. I mean, that I believe in my worldview, God created us the way we are and we're the chemicals that work in our bodies. And, uh, but we, we're kind of left with a choice of what we're going to do with that level of anxiety that starts to rise. And the passage, it's a classic passage. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, my prayer and petition with Thanksgiving, give your, present your request to God. So it's, it's really presenting you an option. And, and I think the sin starts when I just go down the path where I'm going to keep hold of this anxiety. I'm not going to turn to God. And going back to the Psalms, the thing that liberated me so much about the Psalms is not only that they articulate the uh, every range of human motion nearly, they always start where they are and they make their way to God. They face into God rather than away from him. In other words, if they're angry, they'll express their anger and they'll express their anger towards God. But I heard one commentator say, the psalmists are angry with God, they're anxious with God, they're depressed about God, they're, they're happy about God. But the one thing they never are is indifferent towards God. Mm. And to me, that, that changed it all. It was like, okay, right now I'm really freaking out. Well, what am I gonna do with my freak out? Am I just gonna point towards him and start talking about the freak out? Yes. Because that's what you do with your anxiety. I'm pointing towards him instead of, you know, I'm just walking this thing out by myself and not mm. pointing towards him. That would be kind of that's, that's how I personally approach it. I really like that. So, you know, that prayer, right? I mean, and even if you're a skeptic out there who doesn't believe there's anything, uh, you know, this supernatural stuff, God, you, you just don't buy it. Even there, not that we're saying you should stay there because we don't think you should stay there, but even there, um, the prayer and meditation can be helpful in that way. But right. for a believer, um, you actually are communing with the creator who knows your psychological state better than anyone. Yeah, and talking to professional counselors, I, I did a, a kind of a psychological analysis on that passage uh, a couple of years ago. And, and what's interesting about it is to calm yourself we all have the same thing. You have an emotional brain and you have your more logical brain. And there, when you get in anxiety, you're getting into your emotional brain and you're trying to get to your logical one. And that's what a counselor does for you. Let's, let's think about this more objectively. And the, the steps that are inside that prayer, prayer, petition, I'm facing into God. I'm starting right where I am. I'm angry or I'm upset or whatever else. But then petition is very specific. Well, if you start getting specific about the actual things you're worried about or you're concerned about, and then you give thanks. And there's all kinds of research that's been done on the act of giving thanks mm -hmm. truly is. Again, if no matter what religious background you're <clears throat> of, no religion at all, uh, there's institute, there's a, a gratitude institute out there where they've yeah. talked about there's actual, when you give thanks, 
it calms you down and makes you happier. And, and so there's fantastic. actually steps that you go through. So it's the peace of God, it says, but God's the one that made your body and your made your mind. And so to me, when you go through those things, it's designed as a help. But, and again, some people I know struggle on extra levels because of their physiology and all that. And that's where you get into medication. Yeah. That, so there is something to that. You, you, yeah. you know, we know now more than ever before that you have chemical imbalances and things like that. There are medical issues that can be treated, but yeah. So, um, that's great uh, because I and I know that's just a good practice because I've there's been so many things I've prayed and asked God, God, please let X happen. Please, Lord, I'm preparing for this. I'm getting ready. And then after it happens and it goes awesome, I just I just forget to thank him. Yeah. And it's like, wait, you ought to thank him at least as much as you asked for oh, it. You know? yeah. So. Uh, so, yeah. OK, so let's uh, let's go on to the next one. So that's that was easy. That was we're just we're just getting started here. It was. But you so, threw in that personal one that wasn't on Twitter. It was just you. Yeah, that's so just I, me. I, need to, yeah. I didn't know that was going to yeah. be part of the deal. Well, you know, that's just uh, us who are professional YouTubers. Oh, OK, we just know how to weave it in. I got you. All right. It's a part of the. I'm, I'm just I'm tracking. <laughs> All right. Having a charismatic history, I was I was most critical of the lack of investment in theological education required to be a pastor. Now, I let me say something before I hand it over to you. I like this question because, um, number one, I um, in the, am the head of an institution of higher education. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I also think it's true that you don't, you don't have to have degrees um, or formal training in order to do this effectively. I know pastors who are very effective, who have no formal training, who learned everything autodidactically. And I think that's perfectly fine. I, I, I love that when that happens. I think if you have a way to go beyond that, you should. But I, but it's kind of like, um, you know, there's this thing we ought to preach expositorily. Now, some of you may not know what that means, but everyone argues in the seminary world, like, how do you structure a sermon? How do you do this? And expository preaching, simply put, just means to take what is being taught in the text with considerations for the author and the and the um, people originally hearing it, and then put modern day clothes on it so that people understand today and can apply it to their lives. But people have gotten really strict where, okay, it's not expository preaching unless you take this little chunk of text and stay in that little chunk of text right. and go verse by verse, and you better not use any illustrations and all these kind of things. And um, what so the idea is you can't jump around to make a point by going to different parts right. of the Bible. What I find interesting is you have like seminary students who will sit and listen to their systematic theology professor jump all over the text to make a point about God's view of whatever. And then they'll go that weekend to some country bumpkin preacher and he'll jump all over the text to make a point and they'll laugh at him. So right. it, it's it's like he's doing what the systematic theology. So I don't think you have to have this uh, education to do this effectively, but I think you should if you can. Now, you answer. That took care of it. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm off the hook. I love that it. it was it was it, I, the criticism of charismatic. I, I will let this out that I I have a charismatic background and I went to a charismatic university. So uh, so I have and I like the mix. I like the mix of being almost like a mystic plus an academic. And and I think it's that's why I went to charismatic university. And uh, but I I sympathize with the the challenge and that is out there it does happen i i do think there's a lack of requirement sometime in those circles uh, but the flip side can also be true because as you said you've seen some pastors who are very very effective and because and i think this is true in any um there's the forms of this in any walk of life outside of pastoring uh 
we, we use the three or, or the three C's in our church, uh, character, competence, and chemistry. Uh, the first thing you want in anyone is character, because that's the thing that's going to, you're going to be able to base everything on. Um, and usually if someone has flawed character, it doesn't matter how smart they are. It doesn't matter how many degrees they, they have, they're going to be a problem. So character is always first. And that's really a biblical thing. You, you want people, and we actually recruit, most of our staff came out of the marketplace. They didn't go first to seminary. They were business owners. They were people who worked in the marketplace in a lot of different capacities, but they had the character that they demonstrated by serving uh, other people and just being followed because they had that character and they developed that trust. And then we follow it with theological education, which I think is the right order to go in. I think people ought to go formal. I think we have a guy doing that right now. He came out of the marketplace, didn't have any formal theological training, but just an excellent uh, person, just a wonderful Christ-honoring leader that now with that raw material, we would push them towards formal theological training. Uh, Because you probably heard that, you know, we're discovering that IQ is very important, but EQ is about as much important. You know, emotional intelligence, that's what you look for in people. Mm -hmm. And then finally, chemistry, you want someone that you can work with. So I think it's a both and. But like like what you said, well, the original church, they didn't have theological seminaries you just right. but you were taught formally uh, by the apostles or those who were apostolic and but you were trained up but they watched you in your lifestyle so that the two travel together and yeah and that's and, and it's interesting to note that you already had a degree but you're now continuing in theological education I so that's, that's right that's, i can promote your school yeah, because so. <laughs> that's where i'm going that's uh, absolutely yeah so uh so that's great all right so let's keep moving because we're, we're not covering a lot of ground this is the problem when you get two people like us together is okay gonna, so we'll, we'll speed it up no i'll try to let you yeah, talk all right, you more. Do you. Okay. um all right so uh now here we get to the to the tough stuff okay my biggest criticism is supporting bigotry against LGBT pointing at the Bible to justify the hatred to justify hatred is evil. Um, I totally get the sentiment. I, I think that um, there's a few things there. One, I'm glad that we can agree that there is such a thing as objective evil and we define right. it that way. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very important thing to, to point out. Uh, but I'm, what I get uncomfortable with, with this kind of language in modern day is that we can equate, we tend to equate disagreement and we label it hatred. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and I wrestle with that because I, I do have more of a traditional view of that entire lifestyle. But on the other, other side, and I've done some fairly in-depth study on that when I presented on it and talked about it, uh, my wife and I have a very, very good friend, gay man, uh, that we care very, very deeply about. And he knows exactly where we where we come down on activity. For me, that's what it's all about anyway. Uh, but just because I disagree with these particular choices that he's making or leanings that uh, that he's allowing into his life, that doesn't mean I hate him by any stretch. Uh, actually, I do. And, it, and this is not a, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin kind of talk. It's more like you can't define disagreement as hatred. Uh, that's, you know, disagreement can be rooted in love because I mean, it's called being a parent. I mean, if you're a parent, you're a parent. I'm a parent. I have three kids and uh, two of them are out of the house now. One's about to be. And you spend your life as a parent disagreeing with a lot of things. But the, the but your emotion and your passion is rooted 
in your love and not uh, in hatred. So sometimes I worry about our thinking on that. Why can't we disagree over these issues and have a lot of compassion for people in that lifestyle? I've heard a lot of great talking to it. I know there are people out there that are Christ following people. They have same sex attractions and all the rest, but they handle it in what they believe is a Christ honoring way. And uh, so they are out there. And that's, that's very much where I lean, and I believe it's very possible. Well, thanks for that. And um, I don't have to give an answer because uh, we have a video on this channel that I did a couple of months ago where I lay out my views on this. Um, and uh, I, I had several atheists say, that was about the most sensible explanation of that position as I've ever heard. Still think you're a bigot, but at least <laughs> at least you're a sensible bigot. So uh, so you can go check out. You can go check that out. Uh, but, but here's what I want you to appreciate is, I understand. Look, we live in the same world you do. We see the same movies. We hear the same music. We, it's not like we are uh, innocent of the fact that of how this sounds, of how the Christian message sounds as it relates to this issue. We know we get it. So and, and you know, the thing about it is just know that the reason we hold these positions, at least us, the two of us, I know this about Brett. The reason we hold these positions is not because we would like it to be the case or because we um, want people to, uh, to to feel discriminated against or anything. It's we trust God and we believe this is what God wants. And if it's what God wants, we trust God, then we believe that God's ways are good and right. And so uh, it's but it's not like we are, you know, feel this way because we think it's icky or something. That's you not know, we uh, we did a I did a series called Faith for Doubters. It's been out back in 2014 now. And and uh, we 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 talked about this subject and it was funny because it was during the summer and we had like Easter level uh, attendance. It was it was, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. No one's yeah. ever around during the summer <laughs> and everybody showed up and everybody was listening very close. Yeah. Uh, but you can go and look at that. It's number eight in our Faith for Doubters uh, cool. thing because I we did it through I did a lot of research, but I also interviewed uh, my friend and some others that were in that lifestyle and got their input and just and and tried to make it because this is about like you said searching out truth it's uh, i my natural inclination on all these things is sort of a live and let live thing but at the same time i, I want to follow christ faithfully and interpret the bible well and right and accurately mm -hmm. and just let it speak but i but i do think i will say this i think the church in many ways has mishandled this issue about as much as any issue they have sure. i will say that and i need to listen yeah. to your thing yeah. oh well i appreciate that um all right so uh he says i guess i'm a sensible bigot too oh thanks bible fandom by the way thank you we are going to come back around at the end and, and get the comments and questions um, okay. My primary criticism would be that within their sermons, pastors, they do not present evidence to the audience, but claim as unquestionable fact, some rather controversial claims. <laughs> well, of course we do. We're preachers. Uh, no, I, I, I understand where that comes from. And, and that's why, honestly, I can only speak for myself that I try to present evidence. For instance, uh, just one simple example, uh, tomorrow when we were doing an online thing, I'm uh, preaching on Philippians chapter four, do not be anxious about anything. But my first, it sounds like I'm just saying, everybody just needs to pray and then we'll all calm down. And I acknowledge the fact that prayer is, uh, that sounds very cliche. And it sounds like, hey, all you religious people need to speak to your imaginary friend about this and we'll all be fine. Uh, but, but and I, so I kind of knew that. So I, Lee Strobel did a great job. He was he quoted in in the case for uh, the case for miracles. He quotes a couple of different studies, one by Harvard, one by Indiana University, and 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 the studies show one showed that prayer doesn't have any effect, and the other one actually does. But it depends on who's praying. 
But that's evidential-based issues that goes, It's these are academics looking at this issue. And number one, I try to present that kind of thing because I know it's important to people. Number two, uh, it, it's uh, I'm fascinated by it. I think it's fun to look at it. And, and, and then finally, I think it's, I think some of that's generational. We have to remember we're in an era where it, there used to be a day when you kind of could do that. And it's, a lot of people still do. That's why it happens, because Christianity was the assumed truth in most of the culture. And so a preacher was expected just to get up. And And I still have family members that are that way. I, I have people in my family that are loving and kind and saintly and believing. And if I rolled out a lot of evidence, they'd look at me like I had four heads, like just preach the word, man. They, right. they just want that force because they don't need that. But what I'm detecting more and more and more in our modern culture is I've got a lot of young people. And honestly, I want, and I know instinctively that they, they need the evidence. And so did I incidentally. So well, yeah, and you do you do do that really well. And here's the thing, though, I, you know, this really doesn't apply to you because you do present evidence, as we just heard. But mm -hmm. the, the thing is, in a church, you know, there's debate among Christians about what exactly should a church service be, because in, right. in one sense, it's a gathering of believers who presumably are already sold on this. Yeah. It doesn't mean they don't have doubts or anything like that. But but they're sold on. This is believers. So, of course, we're not going to every time we get together. OK, now let's again go over the Kalam cosmological argument and the resurrection and all that, because they already believe this. That would be a waste of time. It would be like going to a, a biologist convention and expecting everyone to get up. And as part of their uh, as part of their explanation, they're going to they're going to go over the evidence to prove that evolution is real. Hey, look, most of the people there. They are already sold on evolution. We don't have to waste time on that. We just go into what we build from that. Uh, so, so in a body of believers where most of us are already sold, we we want to know how to apply it to our lives. Now, in, in there's another view, and I think Brett has a good balanced view on this that it is that, but it's also an evangelistic opportunity for those people that are there, or just for people that are exploring it. And and I think that's what we call them, right? Explorers. Exactly. They're explorers, yeah. and we and and we're not necessarily putting a hard sell on them all the time, and they can feel their way through. So he puts that stuff in there. But in general, if you go to a church and they're speaking like they believe this stuff and it's already settled, it's probably because they believe this stuff and they think it's already settled. So, so Very that's a good kinda, point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Like my church, where yeah. maybe a lot of them don't. I, right. I, I, <laughs> that's right. Who knows? Who's going to factor that in? Oh man. All right. Uh, so digital Hammurabi. Dr. Josh, for those of you that, that know, he asked this question. A cool name, by the way. Digital Hammurabi yeah, yeah, is I, pretty I like awesome. That. That's pretty, that's pretty yeah, cool. he's a, uh, I think he's an atheist, something like agnostic, atheist, whatever. He says, I find that quite often the day-to-day -day responsibilities of pastoral care trump the time that should be taken to properly research the text. This leads to long-term difficulties to, uh, this leads to long-term difficult to overcome conclusions, which are often coupled with the arrogance of years in the ministry. So what do you think about that? Uh, well, true uh, that oftentimes pastoral um, responsibilities trump the kind of research you want to do. And one of my biggest complaints about pastoral ministry, I've been doing it almost 25 years now, is the sheer variety and the sheer unexpected nature of it. The coronavirus, they'd be a very good example. This this week, I was cruising along, minding my own business, had my plans in place. And the governor of Kentucky said, uh, we don't want you to meet. And then the governor of Indiana said, we don't want you to meet. And then you're already caught up. So uh, pa my complaint about pastoral ministry, it's high variety. 
all the time, everything from crisis marriages to tragedies or death or, or, uh, or business kind of things. So, but I, all I can do is speak for myself and I can, I think I can speak for some friends. I do block out my schedule to try to make sure that I'm handling texts appropriately. Now I've learned over the years because Sunday comes every seven days with amazing regularity that I've got a, not hydroplane, but I know how to get to things hopefully pretty efficiently and quick because, but I have a routine. I start with the deep study. I try to research. I have commentators that I rely on and all those things. And then, then you kind of craft it into public presentation. But I mean, I would never argue with handling the text well and trying to be a good exegete and all the rest. Right. It's actually a good point, right? That it, it's, it, that is, that is a fair criticism. And unfortunately, I mean, like I remember when I was, when I was, um, uh, well, your stuff's always really well thought out and deep. And I'm not just saying that cause you're sitting here. That's why I go to church. That's there. Okay. But, but the thing is, um, when I was pastoring, I was also going to seminary and I remember reading a book in the preaching class that was saying, the guy was saying, look, as the pastor, your responsibility is preaching the word and you should, you should have staff that handle all the pastoral care stuff. You should just be focusing on, and I'm thinking, I don't think this man has ever pastored a church. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly true. Uh, yeah. and, and I have, I have, I, I'm a larger church that does have a lot of staff and I have a lot of people covering a lot of things, but still, I mean, you, you shoulder it kind of like a CEO of a business or you used to do. That's just and there are certain people that I want my pastor. Oh yeah. I absolutely. don't want, I don't want that guy. I don't want my campus pastor. I want, I don't want Ryan none. I yeah. want my pastor. Yeah, we, and we have a philosophy that we want to push down problems as deep in the organization as we can get them and have yeah. them solved at that place. But there are certain things that are always going to come up where they need you to speak into it. That's just part of life. Yeah. Okay. They exploit pastors. This is the problem with pastors. They exploit people's weaknesses and fear for cash. No, they exploit people's weaknesses and fear for cash. They also encourage and sometimes demand money from the elderly or the infirm who live on fixed incomes. So by, by the way, uh, I actually know, uh, I don't know how much my pastor makes, but I do know how he lives because he lives in the same condominium complex that I live in. And let me tell you, we are not living like high on the hog or anything over here, but you answer for yourself. That's right. But there is an indoor pool downstairs. We're in, a, we're in a party house right now. Um, first, I, I think, it, and this was part of one of the thematic things that came out, uh, the, the whole issue around money. And I, and I think the first thing that I think of is in some ways I understand guilty as charged. We all see the same stuff. We, we all see the things on TV, the large personalities, and we read in the news where so-and-so has a Learjet and so-and-so is cutting around in a, in a limo. And I know that's out there and I'm offended by it. Don't like it. I, it bothers me. It gets under my skin. It does all those things. And, and, and unfortunately, it's, it, it really is like 0.0001% of pastors would yeah. fall in that category. Right. But obviously, the influence is large because of mass media. But I, I have myself, and I'm in a pastor's prayer group. And so I know a number of pastors, and that's really not the case uh, on average. I mean, and that there's sort of that. Well, we do not, you know, I know that can, it can seem that way, but I think also people misunderstand or don't really quite comprehend the money thing at all when it comes to the whole pastoral thing here in the United States in the 21st century, it works a certain way going all the way back to Jesus. I kind of say, I like to say that Jesus, even Jesus had a treasurer. Now he was the betrayer too. So that we already know there's kind of a built in danger there. 
but the practical realities of having money to do certain things to eat. And, you know, we, we hire people at our church. We have a staff of about 15 people uh, and we want to pay competitive wages. We have a board that gets together and looks at uh, what are the comparable um, uh, uh, comparable professions to what we do. How can we be competitive in the marketplace? How can we make for our employees and the, what they, what they draw so we can pay them wages that they deserve. I want people to be paid well in the sense of, uh, one of their families to do well. So there's there's always this tension between what's too much and what's not enough. A board actually decides that uh, for me and for our employees. Uh, again, we bring a lot of people out of the marketplace. And when we do, we want to be competitive. We want to say we don't want them to take a step down, although people will. And so it, it's one of those things. There's an economic part of this. And I think a lot of people don't even know or understand because it sounds crass to say, but the church is a business in many ways. And there's even a supply demand thing that goes on too. There's people in, in the world that do want this kind of thing in their lives for lots of reasons. And so they do hire you to do that and they give of their finances and they're glad to do it because they receive, again, it's kind of crass to say they receive benefits, whether it's work with their kids or uh, the community that they experience and the teaching, the encouragement, the, com uh, the community, all those things. I hope that makes sense. But yeah. And I, and I think uh, one thing you didn't mention that should be mentioned and First of all, I want to highlight what you just said. The fact is, again, I haven't pastored as long as you, but I've observed hundreds of pastors, and I just don't see that in general. I've said this before, in all the churches I've been, hundreds of churches I've worked with the pastors, there have been two or three that I thought weren't doing it for the right reasons. And that is, and, and that's, and that's horrible enough. And like, you know, like you said, there are bad apples. Um, there are in any, in any field. Um, but, but we definitely want to own it when it, when it's our people and be against it. Uh, but one thing that one life does is you use a lot of your resources to benefit the city itself. We have this thing called city serve. And so once a year, is it once a year? Yeah. One, once a year, they, one lifers, people that go to one life, go out to all different areas, schools, public schools, all kinds of places and do projects to make the city better. And the city loves this. They're not, they don't feel like the church is overstepping. They are glad for this. And so a lot of the reason, I mean, can you imagine what that, the, 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 what that takes to do that? And, um, and we're doing, and then also going, you know, going overseas and doing mission trips and things, which is not just going and preaching the gospel, but going and doing tangible things to help in, in this life right now. Then also doing the thing that we matter, think does matter the most, which is preaching the gospel. So, um, so, you know, churches and, and other church, most churches in some way support missions. And if they don't, they should. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, we. I think it's worth noting that that we do we do mission stuff, and it's a combination of humanitarian and also preaching the message to people. But what a lot of people don't realize is that we, we set aside we we give out ten percent of our full income goes out to outside organizations and, and things like what he's talking about. But the other thing is that people do come us to to us for financial help, uh, and we really enjoy giving financial help when you know it's really a thing. I mean that, that <laughs> you can see, you can observe it. But I've also been conned many times, too. Uh, so uh, it, there, it, it's an interesting thing to watch. It, most churches have a heart to help the poor and they support efforts like that. Uh, we have 
many of the nonprofits in our own community were started originally by churches and just feeding and helping the poor and shut-ins and all the rest. Uh, but at the same time, and they're and they're giving out a lot of times they're giving out money almost daily because they're approached almost daily uh, by people who tell stories. And sometimes you'll see those stories are legit and good, and it's a delight to help people. But you also learn that those stories are not always. Uh, true. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. So, so kind of do that. It's very common. So that, that whole thing, uh, it's not that there aren't representatives <laughs> of that, but that it's, it's kind of, it's kind of an example of a, of a stereotype in the most negative sense. It's just not what you find with most pastors. Like you say, I wish everybody could have our experience of sitting around with a group of pastors um, who are really pouring out their heart for their community and for their people and don't have money and are putting in their own money. And, uh, you know, anyway, yeah. So it's not him anyway. I can guarantee you about that. All right, let's move on. <laughs> the fact that they, uh, this is the problem with pastors. The fact that they exist. <laughs> <laughs> that was my get a real job one. You yeah, should great. not exist. <laughs> <laughs> what purpose do they serve? I was going to cut to the chase. Man. Did God craft his message such that it's not accessible to everyone and instead requires middlemen to interpret and explain to the masses? The whole setup is kind of bizarre once we pause and think about it. Yeah. Well, if you pause and think about it, I can see why somebody would say that. I, I get it on one hand. But on the other hand, you're going to justify my existence here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 think, I think if you think about it on a couple of different levels that it, it doesn't really hold to dismiss it. For one, most pastors don't view themselves as a mediator. That's that's a theological thing in the Roman Catholic Church. There's a the priestly role of being, uh, you know, standing in for Christ. Those kinds of things are there. But um I like for instance, I'm the product of a great pastor. Uh years ago when I was when I was very young, I and and by the way, I need to mention on Twitter there were a number of people who said, they actually commended. They they said, "I came up under a pastor that was one of the greatest guys I've ever known. They said things like that. And so yeah. I appreciate that. But I was one of those people, the pastor that I knew in my life, he is to this day, one of the greatest people I know. And I went through a really painful season about three years ago and I called him and he's still my pastor in some ways. But what was he? A pastor is uh, a counselor at that time, someone to pour out your junk to uh, a mentor, a coach, a teacher, um, just a shoulder to cry on. And that's true in a religious context. And that's true in non-religious context. That principle is present. Uh, pastors are teachers. They're, uh, they're, they're preachers. They're preaching is preaching. I, I'm a big believer in the power of a single voice. You know, and think about Martin Luther King's, I have a dream speech and some of the great speeches through life. That's what preaching is to me. It's like getting together a crowd of people. And we all do that. We do that with Ted talks. Uh, so the principle of what pastors do is present across the, uh, across whether you're religious or not. I have a friend of mine who is a pastor part-time, but he's got formal training in being a life coach and he works for a company. It's not a Christian company. They're just a company that uh, they wanted someone on their staff to mentor and coach and help people and counsel and life coach them. And so that kind of role is something that human beings need. Uh, even if you remove the question of between me and God or something like that, and just in pastoral context of the Christian world, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a, um, it, it is someone who's following the Lord very closely. And my pastor, I watched him and listened to him and he knew more than I did. He had more experience. He had a lot more insight. He did have a lot of experience. And 
Uh, and pastors, sometimes as they've been in it for a while, they'll bring something to the table because we've seen a lot of stuff that a lot of people haven't. Uh, a lot of people ha haven't been in, uh, you know, intensive care units and have uh, been where they've had to conduct funerals for children who have died and, and things of that nature and been through these hardcore, you know, deep emotional issues. Yeah, you've had a lot of experiences like that, but there's probably one of the most meaningful moments in my life, meaningful, and it wasn't a good thing, was I got called in the middle of the night when I was pastoring. In fact, it was the last week that I was pastoring. I was I had already resigned. I was leaving on Sunday. This was Friday before my last message. I got a call in the middle of the night, as pastors often do, that a young man in our church had been in a car accident. On the way to the uh, hospital, I heard the story from uh, our youth pastor that this young man had gotten into an argument with his mother. He had about six beers in his system. It was just enough to be buzzed, you know, but he's driving and he uh, and 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 he's blaming her. She's wanting him to calm down. It, no, mom, this is your fault. And if I die in a car accident, it's your fault, mom. And he flips over two or three times. Some of you, if you're listening from McMinnville, Tennessee, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And And he died and his parents were the first ones there. Oh, and so yeah. I get to the hospital. I walk in at one o'clock in the morning. The father's in there with his son's body. I go in there first. The, the dad is there. He's got blood on his beard. You know, he, he's mm. why, how could God let this happen to my son? I go into the hospital chapel where the mother is and a bunch of our church ladies around her. And she can't even formulate an intelligible word, but just shriek at the thought that her baby boy who she taught to walk and to talk is now gone. And to navigate that, to deal with that. Most people don't see and deal with that sort of thing. And I was 24 at the time, oh, like probably wow. way too young to be dealing with this. I think it all worked out well. And I think it was just because of the Holy Spirit, you know, in, yeah. in the midst of it, not because of me, but I'll tell you what, it was, it was powerful. It, it was, it was, you're right that people don't see a lot of that. And the pastor is the first line of defense. And like when you were talking about counseling and stuff earlier, it, you know, a lot of places now, will a lot of churches will get together with a professional counselor that they, they have an arrangement to send people to that professional counselor. Right. But until about 150 years ago or whatever, pastors, clergy had always been the counselors. That was the person that you went to. Yeah. So even if you, and we're cautious about how we handle that because we're aware that there's a lot of training that needs to go in. Not every pastor is a licensed count and we get all that, but it's just so much value that a pastor brings um, that even if you think this is all bunk, you should still see the the benefit to the community that a good pastor, I think, is. Well, and, and, and again, if you think it was all bunk and say you went through something like that, I would argue on principle you would still reach for what we would call pastoring. You you would you would reach out for someone, uh, whether it's a professional counselor or just someone that you knew that you respected as older or more experienced or educated in those things. In other words, the principles oftentimes are, are mirrored uh, even in outside of religious context. Yeah. Uh, Fender R, uh, thanks for the super chat. Really appreciate that. All right, we're almost done with these with these statements. And then we're going to get to your questions. Um, they lie. This is the problem with pastors. <laughs> they lie for a living. This may sound harsh, but strip yeah, away. It does. Thank strip, you. <laughs> it, may, it may sound harsh. <laughs> it may sound harsh. <laughs> but strip away all the ceremony and ritual, and that's what they're doing. We need to call it what it is. Now, I've been throwing these to you first. Let me just say. A lot of the statements that we saw on Twitter rest on an a buried assumption, which is that the person making the statement, every pastor involved, and all of us involved in the discussion know this is all bunk right. and are just lying. 
Now, let's assume for a moment a bizarre situation that makes no sense of the nature of reality that Christianity is false. If if we assume that for just a moment for the sake of argument, um, and, and we and we think about this, the pastors still believe that it's true. So even if it's false, they're not lying. They may be spreading false information, but to lie is to knowingly deceive someone. Uh, so that's layer number one. Layer number two, Christianity isn't false. We don't buy the buried assumption. And so that just goes to a deeper issue of what do you think of the evidence uh, for Christianity, right. which is, which is of course, what this channel is all about. That, that's my answer, but let's see what you Yeah, and, and and that's really kind of where I lean. That that has that buried assumption thing that, okay, well, that's just an argument over worldviews. That's, uh, uh, if your worldview is false, and, and I don't know if that was coming from an atheistic perspective or where all it was coming these, from, yeah. all these are. Okay, so if it is, yeah, if, if, if your worldview turns out to be false, well, you're, you're kind of using that to say where well, you're lying. You know, Sam Harris is, and he's trying to almost be pastoral and some of his is helping people, you know, kind of thing. So that would mean that he's lying. So that's really just, that gets down to an argument over whose worldview is right. right. And like you said, I, I'm not, I really do sincerely believe this stuff. I, I really do. And I can give you the reasons why I do. Yeah. And uh, so I'm not consciously lying. And as a matter of fact, my kid, my kids will tell you that the one thing I hated more than any other single thing that they did. And I warned them against over and over and over again. I hate it when people lie. I mean, I don't care if you tell me I just shouldn't exist. I'd rather you just tell me the truth. And you have I, 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 Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I hate lying. I hate deception. And uh, so, yeah, you're right. I, and that's, that's really, it's just a competition over um, worldviews. Who's right? Who's wrong? Yeah. All right. Uh, I love this one. I love this one. The proselytizing. They seem only capable of viewing things through a Christocentric lens to which I say, Amen. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's kind of like, and, and that can be turned around too. Well, if you're coming from a materialistic point of view, well, you can only see it through that lens. Yeah, uh, yeah. Of course. I mean, we all have our worldview that's at the core of our being. I can say I do try to, this shows up in some of the personality tests I've done and things of that nature, where that I do try to see things from people's standpoint. I, I, I do make an effort to do that. I'll kind of flip my mind sometime and try to think from a materialist standpoint, or, or uh, I've done work with uh, Muslims and, I, and I'll try to see things through their lens and, and try to make that effort. I, at our church, I think the bottom line for us, uh, we say we want to have compassion for those who reject these things. And the, what that means in my mind is get inside their skin. I, I, I like to take away things that I think would bother me if I were in their skin. Uh, and, and, yeah. and some of it's the lack of evidence or the hypocrisy or uh, the over emphasis on money or whatever else. I try to at least put myself in, inside someone's life in their eyes and then try to navigate past those things. And so in, in an effort to proselytize, though, I will be very yeah, well, upfront you know, about that. Here's the thing. like I had this debate, a little uh, online debate type thing that's on our uh, debates playlist with Will the Atheist. This guy named Will, he used to run the Happy Atheist Forum on the internet. And, um, and, and one of the things he said in our discussion, which I thought was great, was he said, no, no, no. If you believe this stuff, he said, I'm an atheist, but if you believe that there's a hell and that people like me who don't believe might go there, if you really believe all that, you better be trying to defend and preach the Christian message. I think that if you weren't doing that, you'd be a, it'd be a little strange, like you're a cafeteria Christian picking and choosing what you right. like from the Bible. You know, I hear that statement and I, I get what they're saying because you're right, but it does come off very much like, 
y'all are acting like you actually believe this stuff. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we do believe this stuff and we care about you. And, and that's why we, why we uh, do this last one. Um, and then we'll go to the questions. They rarely practice what they are so fond of preaching. It is uncommon to encounter a pastor who lives a truly virtuous life. Now, let me just say, um, I have had an opportunity to observe my pastor, not just in public, but also we live in the same condominium and it's not big. Uh, when he takes his trash out, I see it. Okay. So, so, uh, this is, this is a virtuous man as much as uh, a man can be. And, um, I, you know, we all struggle with sin, but I don't, I don't know of any of his sins. If I get to heaven and God says there was actually one other perfect person, it was Brett Nicholson. I'll be like, okay, well, as far as I know, that's true. Uh, but, uh, the, but the fact of the matter is, pretty thick right there. I'm just saying, I have no evidence of your sin. That's all I'm saying. And so, uh, so, you know, he's, he's, he's great. And in fact, I can say that I've had meaningful moments with Brett where um, I have I have submitted myself to his examination of my life, and uh, I trust him that way. And we live in a world where it'd be really easy to just say, "No, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to, you know, who cares what he thinks?" But I trust him that way because I think he's a virtuous guy. But again, there are people like that out there. That's true for some people. The shoe fits. Yeah, well, and it strikes me that someone that would say something like that, I kind of hurt for them because there's probably a story there. There's probably an experience that says, yeah, I, I did. I knew this person that claimed to be one thing and ended up being another. I've experienced in my own life people who have started off uh, believing and, and solid and good and did all the things, but then kind of derailed. And I've seen the hurt that that brings. I've gone through the hurt myself. And so I think probably, because we all know that that's an overgeneralization. I think we all understand that. But I think it's probably coming from a place that my experience was so deep and so hurtful with watching the kind of hypocrisy that that's, that's the world I see. And I'm going to suspect you before I ever believe you. And so I have, I do have a lot of compassion for that because I know that can happen. And all I can do is say, no, oh, no, I really am real. I, 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 I do believe this stuff. I, I don't know that I would paint my life as virtuous in, in maybe and how other people might define. I don't know. That's, it's hard that's why be, I did it for you. Yeah. You, you, you pack around your own issues. I know my struggles. I know my weaknesses. I know the things I wish I were that I'm not, or wish I were more of, but I'm not, uh, I know all that, but I'm, I'm hoping that a level of transparency and, and non-hypocrisy is, is, is very important to me and authenticity rather, uh, is very important to me. So, try to walk it out the best you can. And, but I also know of a lot of pastors that are the real deal. That's just, uh, yeah. Fact. People are people. And the Christian message is not that clergy are these elites who don't ever sin. The message of, of, of the gospel is we're all sinners, all of us, and we need a savior because we can't do this ourselves. And so just like you will find in any profession, there are good cops that are honest and trustworthy and thank God for them. There are some bad cops that give cops a bad name. Same with lawyers, same with medical doctors, same with pastors, same with insurance salesmen. Now, should we as Christians not be okay with that and, and want to call out our own when, they, when, when a public person is doing that um, and not repentant about it? Yeah, I think so. And I think we do. Um, should we support and help them when they do fall? You know, um, Johnny Hunt um, uh, was the pastor of Woodstock Baptist Church for for many years, big church outside of Atlanta, and uh, had had built what was called the City of Refuge for people that 
uh, pastors, clergy who had fallen and, mm-hmm. and had been found out. And they would they would walk through that with them and, and work with them for years. And they w- and it wouldn't be so let's repackage you and then send you back out to scam more people. It was about them getting better. And so uh, so we recognize in the church that we that this is a problem. Um, that said, please don't be that person that lets the stereotype represent the average, because I don't think that's fair. And there are so many good people who are trying to do the best they can to be faithful to the word and to help others be faithful to the word. So, all right. So let's, let's take a look now at, um, at some of the questions. So Jim Amberg, uh, thank you for the super chat says donate to Trinity radio. You know, so far I agree with everything that Jim Amberg says. <laughs> uh, and, and he says, and a lot of kids depend on school for lunch and a program that helps feed them while school is out. That's absolutely right. In fact, my mother-in-law, I uh, don't know if she'll see this, but she's a school bus driver. And she's, uh, she said, sign me up. I'll do it for, for nothing. I'm happy to go take the kids their lunches oh, at wow, their homes. That's that's great. And so we do need to be prayerful and helpful uh, physically, if we can, uh, in those situations. Uh, love your channel. Practical Faith says thank you. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. Can you give me verses where Jesus says he is God? Thanks. Love the show. I'll let you tackle that, Pastor. But first, let me just say there there are places where so there's things in the Bible that we draw out by implication, but that are nonetheless true that we all agree are are being taught there directly or indirectly. And so when Jesus does things like forgive sins, things that only Yahweh is supposed to do, this is it's implicit there that this is that he's speaking on behalf of that he's acting as God. Not speak, not just speaking on behalf of God, but that he's making a proclamation about his identity. Um, when he says things like "Before Abraham was, I am." When he's talking about um, when, when he commands things to happen in his own authority, you know that that's a powerful thing. So um, these are all things that give us that indication. He says that he and the Father are one. Um, and so when you look at the whole of Scripture, and by the way, you can Mike Lycone has got a great thing on this. If you just walk through like the first five chapters of of the gospel of Mark, which um, most people won't argue is probably the earliest uh, gospel to be written. Uh, In the first four or five chapters, you see repeatedly again and again, things that only Yahweh does and only Yahweh says. So, and that's in the earliest gospel. So if you like the Bart Ehrman type thing of it, where it's fishtails that gets greater as it goes, it doesn't work. If you look at Mark and and look at what's being said under the hood there. So do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> but probably not. <laughs> I, no, I, the first thing that jumped to my mind was, uh, I think it's John chapter five. I think I'm being accurate with that and, and reading. And especially the older I get, as you read Jesus statements about himself, I think it's where he, he talks about they, the dead will hear the voice of uh, hear my voice. And, and the, the re- he, he credits himself with the, the final resurrection and the final judgment. There's just a lot of statements like that that are like, well, He's either claiming to be God or he's or he's kooky. I mean, I, the the Lord liar lunatic, yeah, the Lord liar lunatic thing is really real. When and and C.S. Lewis got that from reading, especially the Gospel of John, the original Greek, and just saying you he presents himself a certain way where you can't really get out of it in any way. It's just the the nature of his own self identity is powerful, and I'm appreciating that more and more. The older I get, I'm like, wow. Can you imagine if he said, if somebody said that in front of you, you would react. And it says that the Jews then picked up stones to stone him at that point, you know? And yeah. so, uh, so that it's an indication that you heard him right. 
Yeah, why why would they pick up the stones to stone him except that he said something that they consider to be blasphemous? And why would it be blasphemous unless it was him claiming in some way divinity? Um, yeah, so uh, great one. Uh, let's see. Hi, atheist subscriber here. Um, how do you deal with the ambiguity in the Bible that leads to different interpretations and know your pastoral teaching is correct? So uh, let you again, I'll pass over to you in a minute, Brett, but just initially I uh, want to say the, the Bible is now whatever you think about it. So you're an atheist. So let, let's let's take it the supernatural off of it for a second. And let's just say this. It is still a collection of historical documents. Um, this, by the way, is why when people say, well, where outside of the Bible do we see X, Y and Z? That's fine. And there are extra biblical evidences for, say, the life of Jesus and things like that. But it's not really fair to do that because even Bart Ehrman will say, if you want to know about the life of Jesus, the most reliable place to go is go to the Gospels. That's where you're going to get your information because these are a collection of historical documents. And but they're written in other languages, in other contexts, in other cultures who have different traditions and different frames of reference. And so for that reason, what's going to happen is you're going to need people who have some level of understanding of those categories to be able to take it and then explain it to people today. It's it, it's the same thing you would have to do with Plutarch or that you'd have to do with even Shakespeare and things like that. So um, you're going to have that. Now, add in the supernatural and, and, and the God stuff, which we all believe in. All those other things are still true. Added to that is we do believe that there is the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Also, I want to say... Um, you're right that there are differences on what we would call secondary doctrinal issues, but classical Orthodox Christianity has always believed certain things that are pretty clear, even today, if you pick up an English Bible and read it, and that is the death, burial, and bodily resurrection of Jesus, the virgin birth, um, the the coming return of the Lord, you know, th things like this, uh, that, that your salvation is in Christ, you know, these kind of things, the mere Christian message, as C.S. Lewis would put it, right? right. That's there. That's the most important thing. These secondary doctrinal issues are important, some of them. Um, and, and so and so you but but it's normal that you would have people who are going to debate and wrestle with that like you do in any field. Um, so yeah, so what what's what do you have to say? Oh, you're really good at this. I mean, man, your your Thank pastor you. must be Thank awesome. You. <laughs> where you're where you're him. learning. That's all right. Where you're going to church must be yeah. just amazing. Uh yeah, I, I don't know that I can prove on that much at all. And, and because what helps me is just that understanding of uh, this is literature. This is, you know, string together sentences, just like whenever I read blogs. So some of it's just natural, you know, reading. And I'm a big context guy. I love to read large chunks. I love to read whole books if they're fairly short. You know, the book of Colossians is probably my favorite. And so you can read the whole book of Colossians in one sitting pretty easy. And you can follow the flow of thought. And you know you have a good translation most people can understand what he's communicating. Even if you don't agree with it, you can say, here's what Paul was saying. And it's not that hard. Now, I know there's debates and I know there are ambiguities, but like you said, the ambiguities uh, are, are pretty much pushed to the side. The bullseye remains the same for most everybody. So I try to do the stuff of just good, uh, you know, respectable or integrity filled uh, analysis of the text. Just look at its context, look at its historical background. I have uh, word studies that I do. I study the original language, study the cultural back. I love cult cultural background and I'm a history geek. So I love the history behind things. And so, and then you take your best stab and sometimes you probably are a swing and a miss. Let's all just admit that. I mean, I, there were things that I preached on 20 years ago. I may not anymore. Yeah. Uh, but the more I read the Bible, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not 
I'm more and more convinced that it's clear in what it's teaching, especially those core things. They come up over and over and over again. Sure. Actually, the New Testament repeats itself a lot. And yeah. If you were just read it back, I read the letters from beginning to end without stopping one time. And it repeats itself. There's just certain key themes that come up over and over and over again, kind of like these tweets about pastors, <laughs> which we know is a is a good um, tool of communication if you want people Absolutely, to yeah. to no, get it's, it's just there. It's, especially it's in a, a society where not everybody reads, is to repeatedly time, yeah. have that. Uh, you know, uh, and by the way, most of the letters are meant to be orally read to a group by a person who yeah. understands, and often that would be the person who brought the letter because they were told what it meant. All right. Um, so let's see here. Uh, I had a thought Brando says that lights and fog machines could be the 21st century version of stained glass windows, an expression of God's majesty. Maybe <laughs> uh, I'm taking that. Yeah. One. I'm, I'm using it. That's right. That's good. All right. Uh, would you agree with the phrase we sin because we're sick and sick because we sin? Then that's moot to say my sin cause my sin caused my disability, but I'm disabled because evil and sin exists. Okay, let me let me see if I understand. If I understand what you're saying, you're you might be saying, well, yeah, like with me talking about anxiety, it's not I, it's not because of some specific sin I committed. Oh, right, right, right. And I think this person might be saying, yeah, but if you believe like in original sin, then of course it is all because of sin. I don't know if that's what you mean, but let me respond to what I think you might mean there. And that is simply to say, um, we we do I do believe that wickedness, sin, and evil in this world. Um, is traceable back to human choices, ultimately in the fall, if nowhere else, um, to disobey God. Um, and it, and then in some cases, we do see act, what I would call active judgments of God, like with Sodom and Gomorrah, that was an active judgment of God. There are things, like there's a big discussion all the time, like what is, is the coronavirus or is uh, Hurricane Katrina or whatever an act of God? And we always have these preachers that come out and say that, and then they all have to apologize a week later because they realize they said something stupid that they can't possibly know. So are you saying that these things weren't uh, God's judgment on X? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I don't know, and neither do they. The fact is, and I may, I may be saying stuff you don't even agree with here, but uh, the fact is, um, the reality is, I believe we, we could categorize active judgment and passive judgment. So active judgment is something like Sodom and Gomorrah, where we have special revelation in the Bible. The Bible tells us what was happening there. And yes, God was bringing an active act of judgment, but there are passive judgments in the sense that God allows stuff to happen in this sin wrecked world. And, uh, and, and that is a judgment in the sense that the fall of creation is a judgment, but it's not necessarily because of a particular thing those people did, or you did that caused that to happen. Um, what do you have to say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it's cracking me up. Uh, I, I I think I agree with that. It's okay uh, if you because, don't. Well, no, it's it's fine. I, I, what struck me was again. I always like to to go to where all of us as human beings probably agree. And I think outside of a religious context, we all see whatever label you put on it, active or passive judgment. We all see things that seem to be just completely arbitrary. Uh, someone gets cancer as opposed to someone else. I've had so many friends get cancer. I feel like I'm waiting my turn. You know, I, I it just, it happens. It's, it's out of nowhere. But we also all seem to believe in the possibility that lifestyle choices can lead to broken down things. I used to do a lot of drugs and I got off all the drugs, but I had friends of mine that kept doing them. And 
it resulted in physical and mental and emotional breakdowns. And, and all of us believe that. I don't think you're required to be a Christian to have those kinds of observations. So, and to me, we have those same experiences. And like you said, as we struggle with what label to put on, did God do this or not? I, I did a thing on the Katrina thing years ago. Cause I, on I was what? On the, yeah, on Katrina. And it, but I did it in a speculative way. I was like, mm -hmm. wow, you know, you can make the case from the Bible that these things really do happen, that God will let nature do something mm -hmm. as a punishment. But I couldn't come down and say, absolutely, he did here. I was just curious. I was like, wow, are we yeah. kind of thinking this way? And you read the yeah. book of Revelation. It'll say all these terrible things happen, but still they didn't repent. So more terrible things happen. Yeah. And I've seen human nature kind of do that before, too. Uh, I've watched the coronavirus thing. I can't say it was from God, but I can say the effect of it is already there's been a bit of a humbling of our country a little bit. And people kind of, oh, we're not kind of. So I see the effects sometimes that I yeah. I just speculate. Like, I, I oh, think was that you or not? Well, I think one thing that you, that we that, that any Christian should say is that, and this goes to whether you're Calvinistic or Arminian or something in between, or whether you're how or what what particular answer to the problem of evil you might bring, which we really haven't directly gotten into that the issue of theodicy. But I think um, one thing that all Christians should be able to say is whether you think God actively brought something for some particular reason, like Hurricane Katrina or whatever, which I always think is weird. Like people said, Hurricane Katrina was God judging America for the sin of abortion and homosexuality. And I'm thinking it's a really odd place for him to do that is, is, right. you know, <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, but the, what we can say is God can redeem the bad things that happen. However, and why ever they happened, he can redeem that evil thing that happened, that pain, that suffering and use it to a good end. I always think of my my brother um, is adopted, and he, you know, his the the reason he was conceived was not a good thing. It wasn't, you know, morally speaking, a good thing. But God redeemed that and made a beautiful sure. thing in the life of my brother. So he can do that in the midst of the coronavirus. Even it, you know, like Absolutely. you say, it could yeah. bring a humbling of the nation. All right, uh, we got to move on. So, uh, hey, Braxton, worry of its uh, of itself is not a sin. It, the reality, it's a reality we all face. It's how we face the worry in our life. Do we trust in ourselves, environment, or God? So, Brian perspective agrees with you. I think that's what you told me a minute that's ago. That's right. He said it a lot quicker, a lot more succinct. <laughs> Good. Well, he's got to type it out, you know. Right. Uh, let's see. Oh, the British do love your live stream times. Thanks, Daniel James Hole. I, I tend to live stream at a time when they're not. It's not the middle of the night for them. So, I guess is it the middle of the night. Okay, good. Daniel yeah, James Hole. Uh, let's see. Is it a good idea for aspiring uh, apologists to start as preachers? That's a good question. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I agree. I think I, I remember hearing Charles Spurgeon was quoted as saying, if you could do anything else, do that uh, when it comes to preaching and pa pastoring. Uh, yeah. Apparently it has one of the top uh, dropout rates too. Mm. And the reason, and I don't mean make it sound like it's harder than it is, but it, it does have certain things that come with the package, like uh, Braxton was saying a while ago, what he went through with this car wreck and all the rest that can be pretty taxing. And so you want to feel a sense of call to it instead of just, hey, I'm trying to get to somewhere else. So I'm going to stop off and do this first. Now, on a pragmatic level, I can see why it would be, because I think sometimes apologists, uh, maybe if they haven't done pastoring, they can be a little bit too much in the academic world and not get in the real world. I love one of the things I love about pastoring is I have a love hate relationship with them, the variety, but at the same time, my academic stuff has to be washed through very existential things as well, because I 
I love our church because we have all kinds. I mean, I have people that I'm sure they were on meth last night. I have other people that are bank presidents. I have a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's a very good practice that apologists take their academics and have to translate it over to that single mom and have to translate it over into that, uh, that bank president or business owner or whatever. And that's the yeah, benefit of it. You make a really good point. I think that our best professors at Trent, well, I'm going to offend somebody, but, um, I think the, <laughs> I, I think our most effective professors at Trinity are, are guys and ladies, um, who have been in practical ministry right. and, and with, and with, and with preachers, they have to think not just about what the fact of the matter is, but how the person listening is hearing them convey the fact of the matter. You have to spend a lot of time, and I know he does, with a big whiteboard and everything, thinking and even talking with other staff, how are the people going to hear what I'm saying right now? No, uh, it, does it does it connect? Do I need to put a new illustration or analogy here to make it connect better? And that And so apologists could learn from that. And by the way, unfortunately, if you're the kind of person that is into apologetics, and all, all you're using it for is personal stimulation or to argue on the internet with people. Um, number one, as Jonathan Pritchett always says, once you've gone 10 posts deep with someone, nobody's paying attention anymore anyway. But number two, um, you, you need to, like he says, you need to be able to talk to real people in the real, not that people online aren't real people. You're all real people, I think. But um, you need to be able to talk to people in meat space, you know, IRL, and talk to them person to person. And, and it's a different conversation there. A lot of the snark goes away because they're right in front of you and, uh, and, and you see the real needs they have. Like you're talking about a single mother. So I think that's very important. All right, let's keep trucking here. Uh, thanks for everything you do, Braxton. Thank you. Uh, the problem with Pat, the problem with pastors, John says, is that they operate above their pay grade all the time and end up hurting people with mental illnesses that need professional care. Now, we kind of said this already, right. many churches now, even in small rural places, perhaps especially there where they have less um, resources, they partner with licensed trained counselors so that that's not a problem what you're raising. But what do you have to say? <laughs> well, uh, it's striking criticism. I can understand where it comes from, because when I was going into pastoring, my, my, uh, my goal was not to be uh, a counselor, uh, and and I and I didn't do a lot of background in professional counseling, and so, but I, I got enough of it, and then I got enough of it through experience that I view this, and and a number of pastors do, that that, that I know anyway. I can only speak to what I what I do and what I know is we we kind of serve as almost consultants, uh, and I even recommend I coach pastors to do this: listen in, and then recommend a, a path. Uh, and that often can include things like uh, professional counseling and more in-depth things or medication. And I'm sure pastors have done harm before. Uh, but here's the other thing, too. I know about the counseling because uh, I know personal counselors and I know people have been to counseling. It's the same thing, though. It's There are good counselors that are really, really sharp at what they do, and they're deeply educated, and they've got a lot of experience, and they're very sharp. And there's ones that aren't as good. And I've known a friend of mine that has been to a number of counselors because he cares very deeply about it, needed it early in his life, and he's very picky about what counselors he goes too. So you have to watch your generalizations. You, gotta, you know, you can say, well, they need professional help. Well, okay, they're getting professional help over here, but who's the professional? I have a nurse friend that coached me through. There are some doctors that aren't all that great. Uh, and she said, yeah, 
being living with doctors. There are some that are super good at what they do and they'll make it healthier. And there's other doctors that probably aren't as good. I mean, because that's a human thing. That's just, so it's going to be true, but I, so it's, it's a valid criticism, but we have to watch the generalizations, I think. Yeah. And it's true that in a good seminary you'll get, like I I just uh, completed a DMN program at another school, not ours, although our school is kind of known for counseling stuff, but at the other school, you know, I had uh, at least one class where I had to read the entirety of this 700 page counseling book that's by the Christian Counselors of America. And it's, it's, uh, you know, these are licensed counselors and all that. And I had to read this, uh, two other books that were secular and I had to listen to all these lectures. I'm not like, I'm not the greatest counselor. I'll send them to you and you can send them wherever you want. But the, the thing about it is, um, most people that have been educated in some way in seminary or Bible college or whatever have had some counseling training. So, um, so it's not, it's not really like, I think it might've been painted. Uh, Jim Amberg, again, Jim Amberg, Jim Amberg, you are such a blessing. Let me tell you something, not just because that you have now given a lot of money on this live stream, but Jim has actually not only supported us and what we're doing, but sent um, letter, uh, at least one letter, like through snail mail to our offices at Trinity, encouraging us. Oh my goodness, so wow. really, really you know, wonderful, wonderful guy. A few of them do. Thank you so much. He says condo party pizza, condo pizza party fund. Smiley face. Thanks guys for what you do. Well, it's not a bad idea, but if we do that, we're going to divide that pizza, separate it with gloves, and then you can have your half and I can have my half because coronavirus, folks. Um, All right. uh, Let's see. Braxton, how do you balance the power within the church, congregation, elders, deacons, head pastor? Well, we've got a living, breathing elder of sorts or pastor here, so... Uh, you want to tackle that? Uh, yeah, the the balance of power thing. I'm not exactly sure what uh, what that's driving at. Uh, we uh, our church governance is we are independent, uh, but we we do have an elder board. We have a secondary board that we just set up that deals more with the business issues. We call it our oversight team, because in the church world, as it commonly exists, and our we're like a medium sized church is what I'd label us. Um, that there's everything from insurance and property issues to uh, governmental things, taxes, there's all those things. And then you have, we're trying to divide up more where we have elders that are kind of over spiritual care. Uh, So I don't know uh, balance of power stuff. They, they do look to me, they, they're almost, it almost functions kind of like a board to CEO kind of bit where the board is ultimately responsible to me and for me, but, and they've entrusted me with authority so they'll follow my lead, but at the same time, technically speaking, they could fire me if that's the kind of thing you're after. And I think that's a good balance. I think the, that's the way it's supposed to be done, where there is a, a multiple uh, elder board that has a number of voices speaking into it that are all carrying the weight. But then they entrust that to the primary um, face with the place, so to speak. And then I work with the staff and it kind of works out from there. And we, we function pretty well that way. We've had our bumps along the way because people are people. But at the same time, uh, I personally don't have a lot of problems with the balance of power issues because everybody's pretty trusting one another. But that comes back to that chemistry thing. I found out you can have, my experience teaches me that you can have the greatest structure in the world but the reason character matters so much is if you get bad character in that great structure, it doesn't matter anyway. 
So uh, that's that's very true. And so I'd, I'd rather just have a team of people who understand each other, trust one another, care about each other, have each other's back, speak the truth to each other. And that kind of group can can rock. And as long as we keep our elders and our other groups that way, uh, we're fine. And the balance power is fine. But if you start getting some poison in there, that, that can be a little rough. But I hope this we're getting what was being asked. Though. Yeah, I think so. And and um, so, you know, and the church is is interesting. You know, like what you've heard, Brett submits himself and you, you know to other people. And there's oversight there. And then there's oversight for the oversight. And there's, you know, it's it's. I don't think it's like there is that there are churches that have this like lick my boot type leadership model. And we don't think that's a good thing, you know, so uh, just, just know that. Days. I mean, <laughs> sometimes you want it to be that <laughs> yeah, way. Right. Yeah, let's, let's just cut out all this bureaucracy. <laughs> let's do what I say. To yeah. Do. All right. Last thing. And then we're going to shut this down because okay. we've gone already right. an hour and 22 minutes here. But um, Brando says, I made the point about lights and fog on the flip side. Do you guys think that leads people to want a concert more than going to church to understand the word of God? That is got to be a question that you have thought about and answered many times. Do I think it makes people want to go to church? Uh, Are they more suspecting it's a concert? Oh yeah. You know, I have thought a lot about that. One of the reasons that we, there's a lot of history behind this stuff. So we first started doing this years ago when we were playing music and the first argument that everybody made for a darker room was it made us less less self-conscious about enjoying worship and participating in worship. I remember the conversation. It was, I think it was my brother that said it, and he was a musician, and he said, you know what? We always have these bright lights on. I feel kind of funny. Just I feel like I'm being looked at. So can we take the lights down just so I can relax a little bit? And so we're like, yeah, sure. I, I don't. There's not a Bible verse I can go to that says bright lights versus dim lights. I don't know. So we did that. And so I like to think that it's aiding people. Uh, I'm big on the fact that God is the original creator. I look at I look at lights as an art form. Uh, I believe the world has grabbed these things away uh, from the church, and the world's out there doing all these cool things, and we are, are hesitant. We're we're supposed to be the artists, so I I love our, our lighting people. I I enjoy watching them create art, but I can understand why people would say that. We try not to make it that way. That's really not the motive. We want you to feel like you're at a concert. For me, it's a cultural thing. It's kind of like, this is what I grew up with when I go into a place and hear a music and band and I'm, I'm expected to participate. The lights are down and lights are, and, and, and more stage lighting is up. It's just the, it's our normative, really. Mm -hmm. And so, and like I said, I'm superficial enough that I kind of enjoy it. Yeah, I, I like well, I, I don't think it's superficial. Like you say, it's art and there's something uh, powerful about art. I, you know, as an apologist and a person with an evangelistic heart, one thing that somewhat has irritated me over the past 20 years is people worrying too much about arguing about what kind of visuals and music they think God likes the best when people are, when people out here don't even know Jesus and we're arguing about that. It's like, I've been, I want everybody to, I want there to be something for everybody. I've told Brett before, I think we ought to start one life vintage and take one church, put it somewhere and just have like, Totally old school. Now do old school the best it can be done. But see, the thing about it is there are people. I, I remember reading uh, Worship Evangelism by Sally Morgenthaler years ago. And she was talking about how some people coming back out of this was in the early 2000s. Some of the boomers that had gotten away from church were coming back to church now. They didn't want the movie theater type feel. They didn't want that. They wanted the imagery. They wanted the stained glass, the crosses and all that. 
great. I'm glad we have that for them. Right. I'm glad that people that want the laser light show where you feel like you're at Epcot get that too. You know, yeah. I don't, I, I think all that's something for everybody. And I did say that was the last question. Please don't be mad. Can I do one more question? Okay. Because, be because, because the thing is he'll do some church discipline. Cause I, you know, he's one of those lick my boot right. type leadership, but, um, no, someone asked about apologetics in church. Uh, both the two churches I've been a member in which living in Norway seemed afraid of apologetics. How can we get apologetics into these churches? All right, I'm going to take this one if that's okay. Here's the thing, because I just did my dissertation kind of on this issue. What, there's a great book by Greg Boyd, and I always have to say, Greg Boyd's got a couple of weird views that I'm not, well, they're not weird in the sense that they're not around or common or, you know, but I, I don't, I'm not where he is. But he has a great book called The Benefit of the Doubt. Have you read that book? I have not. And uh, in, in, the, in that book, he, he's talking a little bit about why people don't like apologetics in churches sometimes. And one of the reasons is, and, the, and you'll, you'll be hard-pressed to get them to admit this, but despite the doctrinal positions of the church, whether it's like an eternal security type thing where once you're saved, th there's no not being saved ever again, whether you have that or whether you have something else or whatever the doctrinal position is, many people in churches of every denomination have the impression, and you can tell them all you want, they're still going to feel like that if I don't believe hard enough or if I sin enough, I'm going to lose my salvation. And so their certainty of their belief becomes very, very important to them. And so whenever you, you introduce apologetics, and you tell them, hey, we'd like you to start using this and have conversations with unbelievers, whether they're even consciously aware of it or not, what they're hearing you say is, you mean I'm going to go out and subject my beloved certainty to possibly doubt where some skeptic is going to present me with what they have challenges to the, and I'm not going to be a certain anymore. And then what does that mean for my salvation? And there's all this angst about that on top of the fact that with evangelism, like just telling people about Jesus, people have always been scared to death to do it and afraid they're going to do it wrong. And now you take apologetics where they're scared to death to do it and don't think they can learn it. And we're putting those two things together and saying, how about this? You know, and that's terrifying to people. So the fear of salvation stuff and then the and then the fear that they can't do it. So I my recommendation is just to be open about what I just said and to share that here are some of the common concerns why people aren't into apologetics. And then have a seminar where you kind of explain some simple apologetic stuff to them and show them they can grab onto this. They can understand it. It's not too top shelf forum to get the basics. And then here's, here's the thing that, that I, this is like my, if I have a tagline or something, here it is. You may not be able to be an answer giver yet in the sense that I think I am and I think Brett is, but you can be an answer finder right now today. We even have a t-shirt, answer finder t-shirt, because we want you to know that you may not be able to give an apologetic answer, but you can be an apologist right now today if you never even heard of apologetics before, because you can say to someone, I don't know how to give you the answer to that right now, but I can go find that answer and we can come back and continue this conversation. And you know what you've just done? Number one, you've showed humility. You, you've showed them that it's okay that if you don't, you're willing to admit if you don't know something and that increases for them, their, your credibility. So I think just talking some of that stuff through with people will be incredibly helpful. Do you have anything to add? Uh, no, but again, I'm just impressed where, where you must go to church. It's amazing. That's right. uh, yeah. I, I, how to get in and up. I, I think it will increase as pastors interact with people more. Uh, it was beneficial for me and that's why I do it. But it also, it came up in 
in conversations over coffee. Uh, that's why I value it because I would find myself being asked these things. And I thought, well, I've got to get the answers. And I think that's going to happen to pastors more and more and more as time goes on. It didn't happen in the past as much, but it will, it, it'll, there'll be a natural, I think it's already happening quite honestly. Been my observation. All right. Well, uh, last thing I've enjoyed this. Uh, you can go to church tomorrow on Trinity Radio, even if you don't go to church in real life. And um, I, I, I want to say thank you to two people specifically. Besides, I'm glad everybody's here. This is just so cool that we're able to do this. But Slam RN and Santi are two people in the chat today who have been expressed willingness to help with being moderators uh, when we do live streams like this. And I want to say, I'm sorry to both of you because you both offered and that's so generous. And I appreciate that so much. And I just have not thought to make you mods and do all that. And it's my fault. And I, I want you to forgive me. I'm repenting. And uh, thank you so much for, for being willing to help. It's so, so meaningful. Thank you to the super chats and thank you to all of you. And listen, uh, Brett's a cool guy and really knowledgeable. And I think a lot of the stereotypes that you have of pastors um, are not the average, but they're definitely not true of Brett. And so I want you as a skeptic, if you think, I wonder what a pastor would say or think about this, or I wonder what their take on whatever issue is. Um, go check out the, the, the one life, what is it? Onelifechurch.org or something. Yep, that's it. Onelifechurch.org and look at his backlist of sermons by topic or series and just check it out, man. Uh, so I hope you'll do that. And tomorrow I hope you go to church on Trinity radio and I'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. I always do that like it's going to instantly end, but they're still watching. <laughs> All right, now it's gone. <laughs>